Hi, I'm Dr. Gemma Newman. You may know me as the Plant Power Doctor, and I'm your host for the Wellness Edit podcast with Holland and Barrett. In this episode, I am absolutely thrilled to be joined by the one and only Ate Jewel. Ate Jewel is a multi-award winning beauty journalist and broadcaster with more than 20 years publishing industry experience up her sleeves. She's the founder of her own beauty range, Ate Jewel Beauty, and you may have spotted her on This Morning, Good Morning Britain, CNN, and more. Ate is also a diversity advocate and regularly provides social commentary and campaigns that champion greater diversity in the beauty industry. Ate is also the founder of the Dr. Ate Jewel Education Foundation, which supports black and mixed heritage students through university. Ate was the recipient of the CEW 2020 Achiever Award in recognition of her work on diversity in the beauty industry over the last 20 years or so. Wow. Ate, welcome to the podcast and thank you for joining me today. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I'm very overexcited. I'm such a huge fan. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> That's nice. I'm a big fan of yours, actually. I was I was looking through um, some of your posts on Instagram this morning as a reminder, because I've seen you on the TV before, and I just love the way that you include so many different people when you're talking on your posts and when you're sharing information. Um, and just the way you come across is just so beautiful. So I'm, I'm really excited to share more about what you do. And hopefully if our audience don't know you, they'll get to know you and love you just as much. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah, you're welcome. So I guess, you know, for those who don't know about all of these amazing things that you've been doing over the last few years, maybe we could start with you just telling us a little bit more about, um, about yourself. Yes. So I have been in the beauty industry for over 20 years. Um, I started out as a beauty journalist, sort of morphed into an influencer and broadcaster and diversity advocate. But I've always throughout my career pushed, pushed, pushed for more diversity, more inclusivity. I love the beauty industry. I've, you know, I'm a columnist for Marie Claire. I write for Holly Willoughby's Wild Moon uh, platform. I've written for Vogue, Sunday Times Style, Observer, Daily Mail, Telegraph, Left, Right, everywhere in between. It's just about communicating and just sharing my passion and love for beauty. I studied history at university and people always sort of say history and beauty, we don't get it. But beauty is about politics, culture, values, who we are, what we hold sacred, all the invisible things of life, which I find fascinating. So for me, I love the invisible and I love power. And for me, be an art and culture and joyful things. And beauty has all of those things for me. Gosh, you know what? I've never heard anyone encapsulate why beauty is important to them in a better way than you just did. I, I'm really sort of quite inspired by that way of, of describing it because it's something that a lot of people have mixed feelings about. You know, there's lots of people out there that see even the word beauty as being something that they don't relate to or that they find um, superficial somehow. Um, uh, so, you know, to hear you talk about it with such depth and such a, an understanding of the invisible ways in which both the beauty industry, but also the perception of, of 
how you know how we look and how that relates to how we feel that that was just yeah that was really inspiring what what made you sort of look at it in that way was that just very instinctive or was that something that you learned through looking at history as well I mean, as a kid, I loved like musicals from the 1950s and Technicolor and just a film is also a huge passion of mine. And I never saw myself reflected in these mediums in film. And well, I never saw myself and my mum, who's very glamorous and my family. Um, and I just, it just never made sense to me that people who looked like me were always sort of portrayed as being very socially, economically downtrodden, when that was the opposite of my very glamorous 80s dynasty Dallas mum, you know, <laughs> you know, who was like doing doing her Joan Collins back in the day with a power red lipstick. And I just, you know, so the, connecting the dots between power and status and things which I found really be- beautiful and interesting always really mattered to me. And I think people think the beauty industry is really superficial because they look at it as about sexual attraction, about the male gaze, when it's actually the opposite. It's about the inside out and power and expressing yourself. And I think people put that onto the beauty industry that, um, you know, I like, as a, I find it fascinating that Churchill, secret papers have been released from back in World War II. And Churchill had a meeting in a secret bunker to say that they cannot stop the rationing of red lipstick because it would affect morale in the UK. So they knew, do not take the lipsticks away because it is part of the war effort. And I just <laughs> love that because that is, it, <laughs> It's so much, it's, you know, it's about nature. It's about colour. It's about all the things that make us happy and give meaning, I think. It's not just about sexuality or attractiveness. It's about just who are we? I find it fascinating. It is. It really is. And I'm glad that you've sort of couched it in that way. I I was talking to my friend about this uh, Um in fact, you might know who she is, uh, Dr. Poonam Krishan. She does um, a lot of um, sort of doctor slots on one of the uh, mainstream shows. Yes. And uh, she um, she gets her red lip out when she's feeling low or when she's feeling like, oh, I'm you know lacking in energy. She'll get out her red lipstick. She'll put it on. And it just kind of like, it'll give her this little lift. And, um, you know, when she was sharing this with me, I thought, you know what? I do the same, I, but I just don't think of it in terms of red lipstick. I'll I will, I'll apply makeup and I'll do it not just as part of my routine, but I'll do it in a way that makes me like look in the mirror and genuinely look at my face and think, you know, you're going to look beautiful today. This is going to be a special day or for whatever reason, it can give you a real sort of pick me up, can't it? Big time. And it's a form of meditation, if you want, like the routine of it and the ritual of it and the kind of um, the skill of it. And like, you know, everyone has an order. Like, do I put your mascara on? Like this, these things can be really calming for the nervous system. I think it's really, yeah, it's a, it's a, for me, putting on your makeup is a form of meditation. (laughs) <laughs> yes, and I totally see that. It's not something that people really talk about very often, but there is a certain routine to it. <laughs> yeah, and, and that can be deeply comforting, especially in these times of chaos and crisis. Just to have something which gives you a little bit of joy, I think is positive. It is. Um, and so for you growing up, you found 
a lot of inspiration, clearly from your mum's sense of fashion yeah. and beauty. And you loved musicals and things like that. How did you sort of build your career in this passion? Because many people struggle to do that. They'll have something that they're passionate about, but then they decide, oh, well, I've got to earn money. So I'm going to do something else that will mm -hmm. just kind of keep things going. For you, how did you kind of make your passion something that you could actually use as a, as a way of earning money as well? Well, I was really lucky to have my mum who is super, super duper cool. She's cool mum. And she said to me after my degree, I did, I was really lost. I didn't know what to do. I thought, what's the most businessy, arty thing I can do? So I sort of did a course in advertising and I did some work experience. I thought, I do not like this. And all my campaigns were beauty campaigns for my homework. <laughs> and um, someone said, why are you here? And I'm like, I completely agree. I don't know why. And I dropped out. It was the first time I dropped out of anything. And I was so lost. And my mum said, make your hobby your job. And you never feel like you're working and I thought I can bang out an essay and I love beauty surely that must be a job and sort of writing and beauty writing and beauty and then I went um, and saw that Instar magazine had launched in the UK this was back in 2001 and I literally politely stalked my way onto that magazine I called um, the beauty director Carmel and I called her every day for like two weeks and she was like oh just come in for an interview and my interview was Chanel makeup discuss and I literally thought I died and gone to heaven because I was like I found my people and I just like had this conversation about texture and color and undertone and, and I had a proper chat and then I went home and got very depressed because I thought if they don't call me I don't know what I'm going to do because I just want to be here and then I sort of took a sick day off my job I was working on counter the um, beauty consultant and they called me and they said, everyone sit, come in. And I stayed there for a year. And then I was asked to go to Tatler the next year. And that was the beginning of my career. And then I went freelance age 23, 24. So yeah, it was, it was very, it was a blessing to have that message of you can make the thing that you're passionate about also a living. And I think more people need to tell their kids that. Yeah, I think so. Because it's one of those sort of, it's one of those strange things. We we live in a time, as you say, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's uh, there's a lot of financial difficulty for so many families. And right now, probably one of the last things people are thinking about, or many people, is what they're passionate about. You know, what they're thinking about is, well, how do I put food on the table? Um, but, and yet, you know, it, it is dreams and passions that keep our soul alive. And, you know, when we've got children in this world as well, that I think it's so lovely to be able to have a way of showing them uh, through your actions, words and deeds, that there are things that you can sort of, that, that make you light up and that it doesn't all have to be the practicalities, you know. And you know what, you know, if COVID taught us anything, nothing's safe. There is no safe option. Look what can happen on a turn of a dial. People being made redundant. Da, da, da. Like you might as well do what you want to do because there's no security. And like really, it's a facade. That's what I think. So you just, you might as well risk doing something you really love and you will pour your energy and passion into it because things can turn on, you know, they can spin like this. So you might as well do what you love. Not There's no safe option. I think that's what the truth is. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I think that that's a that's a very astute observation. Um, although I guess maybe for me, because I trained as a doctor, I think people are always going to get sick. <laughs> yes. Oh, you know what? My 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 friend's grandma when we were sixteen, she said to us, "Girls," and she 
was um, a World War II survivor. She was um, in Iraq and the Nazis were literally coming down the road to get her because uh, she's Jewish. And she literally was 18 and literally a neighbor phoned her saying, get out. And that's how she stayed alive. And she used to tell us at 16, girls, you know, I know you want to do your fancy arty jobs, but please train to be a plumber and electrician as a backup. And I'll never forget that. And she was so right. She's like anything, like dentist, doctor, oh. electrician, plumber, you can go anywhere in the world and people will always need that. That's true. <laughs> she she is correct. You could do that. And also, you know, if it's your passion to be an electrician or a plumber or a doctor or a nurse or whatever, then that's great. Like for me, it was actually my passion. I always wanted to do it. So <laughs> that's so that's a good one. Oh, so, all right, let's talk a bit more about you. Um, I know that from what you've described, it was a, a sort of a mixture of persistence and passion that got you your first job. Um, and then obviously things sort of snowballed from there. Um, tell us a bit more about your role in helping sort of the beauty industry as a whole to, to be more inclusive um, has it been more the case of just sharing the things you're passionate about or have you been sort of more proactive in that? Yes. I mean, at the beginning of my career, it wasn't that I was the only person who looked like me in the room. I was the only person who wasn't blonde. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was like, this, like, you know, it was like no one looked like me. And in the beginning of my career, people would have a foundation launch and think that six shades was really diverse and the darkest shade being sort of a Beyonce tone colour. Mm. And it was me always saying, why isn't my shade? Because, you know, I'd love to be colour matched. Don't I have a shade? And asking the uncomfortable questions and people telling me things like there's not enough room on the shelf. That's why we don't have darker colours. We don't think there's a market. We don't think people can afford to buy at this price point. So much racist nonsense and I was always pushing and asking marketing directors what's going on why not why not more 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 um and I think after Black Lives Matters it gave such vocabulary and agency and and it gave such a, a voice to what I had been feeling I think I'd been very politely putting my hand up saying excuse me and after Black Lives Matter it was like okay we can have this conversation openly let's go and so I have been pushing throughout my whole career but I feel very I don't want to use the word fortunate but that I've lived through these times that people can understand all the things I've been talking about for 20 years and that we can have you know things you say at a lunch with other friends in the industry who have understood what a microaggression is or they've suffered in some way. Now we had that conversation with everybody. And I think it's a really beautiful thing that so many brands and people can open up and see what the real issues are and how choice is a quality. Yes, choice is a quality. It must feel... Well, I guess it's a mixture of emotions. Maybe you can tell me, like when Black Lives Matter as a movement sort of really began to gain momentum, for you, was it a moment of validation, a moment of grief, a moment of relief? How did you feel about it? All of the above. But the 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 most interesting and devastating emotion that a lot of my friends black colleagues in the industry was grief of all the jobs they didn't get that they deserved all the opportunities that 
they could have had but they didn't get like you know early in my career I was doing a job and I was loving it and I was freelancing and I wanted to be permanent and I knew they wouldn't give it to me because you know I've got a curvy big West African body I just my face didn't fit and that was just the rules and I wanted this job and I'd been doing it I do was doing a really good job and it was given to someone else who had no beauty experience what was like you know a size six from the home counties and who, who you know I was always like workhorse and show pony that's what I, that comes to mind and I just thought that's why I went freelance at 23 24 because I didn't want to be I wanted to just do my own thing and not always be sort of I call it the mammy if you've seen Gone with the Wind someone pulling someone else's corset so they can be fabulous and twirl off to the barbecue and I, I didn't want to be anyone's mammy so it was a lot of grief and sadness but also a lot of you know I've got twin daughters who are 11 and you can take all of that and have a pity party or you can take all of that and you can make things better and you can push the dial forward and you can just forgive and move forward and make it better because I've got kids and you've, you know, lots of people have people they care about and it's about how do we make it better for everybody because diversity is a win-win for society. Just in the same way, having women in the workplace, which was madness a hundred years ago, can you imagine a female doctor 150 years ago? Now, how many people have you know could have been saved this is what makes me so angry how many people could have been saved how many people the cure for cancer could have been found now if the right people were in the labs doing their job instead of being suppressed um and you know disempowered so for me finding talent and getting people where they should be based on their talent is really important to me and that's good for everybody yeah it really is and that was so eloquently put and i think it feeds into the idea of uh, recognizing where things have caused pain but also i love the way you said look i you know i've got daughters i want to make the future better so let's just push the needle and you know keep making things better for the next generation and i, I think that's a lovely way of looking at it with your history lens as well the fact yeah. that you studied history and you're very aware of that no i completely agree i think when you see, when you when you know history or you, you have studied history, you can see everything is patterns and it's like the same thing, different outfits. That's what history teaches you. There's nothing new under the sun. Power is power. And it's about pushing it forward and that you're a link in the chain. And if you think, you know, my mum was like 21 in 1968 and she was living in New York at the time and that was a civil rights movement and if you think if you say out loud about civil rights and people fighting for you know you know you, you at 21, my mum living in New York couldn't go to the Deep South and be in a restaurant because of how much pigment she has in her skin. If you say that out loud, it's insane. And so to think where we are now, and then in 100 years or 200 years time, people will be looking back and going, did you know that they didn't have shades for like all skin tones? Or did it? You know, it's going to sound crazy. And I think my job, I always say it's a relay race. You know what I mean? I'm, it's my job to pick up the baton and just run as fast as I can. <laughs> then it's over to you, I love it. Over to you, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And then, of course, that means your daughters can then take up the baton and then take it even further, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> so I'm just going to run. And also, it takes the pressure off. I'm just going to do my best and run as fast as I can. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I love it. That's beautiful. You know, I, I have a lot of hope for the future because of our children. My son is also 11. Oh. Um, and he 
he he's just well my one of my sons and he's just started um his you know his new school yes. his secondary school I'm guessing your daughters are, are probably same, doing same the same we, yes I call it big girl school they're like mom don't say that it's secondary school I was like okay <laughs> big girl school yeah <laughs> I know, but it's just such a strange feeling to to sort of be thinking, okay, the time has gone so fast for one thing. But the second thing, sort of speaking to the point I was going to make, is that the way he speaks about social issues and the way he understands a lot of the social issues that, you know, to be frank, my parents and certainly even sometimes myself struggle to sort of get my head around. It's like they have a fantastic outlook, which I really think is going to propel the world into a greater place than we are in right now. Oh, I'm so, I completely agree. And they have such a more interesting outlook. They're so, they're so much more educated about things and the conversations. And, you know, I can be a bit of a perfectionist, which I think is a hangover of having to strive. I've always had to be 10 times better just to be in the same spot as other people. So I can be a bit perfectionist and, like you know oh your hair and because I had such issues about my hair and being judged on me and my daughter Donna was like it's okay mum I don't have to be perfect and it was like mic drop and I was like oh my god wow when I grow up can I be you like uh, (laughs) and I was like you're right it doesn't have to be perfect just go do you and I just thought my god you know when your children become your teachers it's a beautiful thing it is it is a beautiful thing. And you know, I think it's because you're a beautiful mum that she's that you've allowed her to be your teacher. So, oh, you know, I you. think it's all worked out there for the best. <laughs> um, so, you know, I would love to talk a little bit more about your foundation. Yes. You know, we're talking about bringing the future into the present and hopefully passing that baton forward. Tell me a bit more about your education foundation and what it means to you and how it works. Yes. So again, Black Lives Matter was one of those pivotal moments. I think it's Black Lives Matter and COVID together really changed me fundamentally in that I thought if this is the end of days, if this is a bad Netflix film gone wrong where it's the end of the world, I'm going to go out being me and I'm going to be my authentic self and walk in power. And I, you know, I never wore colour. Gemma I only wore black I never wore color I you know so I exploded with color exploded with being myself and I'm like how can things and then we got past the fright of what was happening and I'm like okay I want to make things better and I want to help and so the education foundation I think you make the world a better place when you through education it is one of no one can take that away from you and I think when you can support students and you can so it's for black and mixed heritage students in the UK in higher education and I've had my first round of awardees recipients um who are just I'm so proud with um the uh, the cosmetic scientist uh, graduates at uh, London College of Fashion, UAL, because I'm making my own beauty line and I had five years of trauma trying to make it. And I'm like, okay, how do you change things? Let's get more people who are diverse in the labs. Let's get more people who are diverse in boardrooms, in uh, CEOs. And so I'm working with Oxford University, Bristol, where I went to university, Solent, uh, UAL. And it's about giving rocket fuel to people so they can be where they're supposed to be so trying to help a little bit remove a little bit of financial burden so they can really soar and be excellent and just flood industry with diversity (laughs) it's fantastic it's so inspirational and i'm so glad that you've done it and i think it's things like that that really do help people who would otherwise have struggled you know i actually 
accessed a grant when I was at university for students in very low incomes. Yeah. And me too. At the time, it just meant so much. It meant so much to me to be able to have that support to help me get through. Um, and it meant the difference between, you know, being able to actually go food shopping and yeah. not. And yeah. I think, you know, for you to actually set this up and, uh, you know, to be able to really encourage people from many different backgrounds to have that chance of changing the world is just, yeah, it's really inspiring. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was that person too who had to go to the hardship. That's what they call it, hardship fund. I worked four jobs. I would start my work at one o'clock in the morning. I'd work all night writing essays and then do it all again. I think I cried for three years university was not fun it was something I had to get through because I knew I needed it and it was it was such a pleasure to do the course but it was so emotionally taxing and draining and I remember walking I was 19 I was I didn't have money for a bus and I was walking at night to this um, computer lab because I didn't have my own computer either and I would sit in this basement lab and just writing all night and I remember saying to myself if you get attacked or raped that is the price you're gonna have to pay because you cannot fail and I remember having saying oh. to myself, suck it up. Whatever happens, you're gonna you're not gonna not do this work. And I remember thinking, no like no one should say that to themselves. No one no. should have to put themselves in harm or feel like that. And so that's what I'm trying to make it a little bit better. And I was just so exhausted. I was exhausted. And so if I can make it a little bit better so people can just get, don't have to think about things like that. Don't have to think about like, do I do my photocopying back in the day before, before the internet? Do I photocopy bits of this book or do I eat dinner? No. So if I can help a little bit so people can just get on and do, you know what? It's about removing hurdles. I think all racism and financial difficulties is just getting blocks out of the way so you can get on with it. Do you know what I mean? Like, just get on with it. Do you. Do you hard and flourish. I do. I know what you mean. And the fact that you're helping other people flourish is is wonderful. And thank you for sharing that. You know, it's actually, gosh, it felt, it sent shivers down my arms hearing you describe the thought processes that you had to go through. And that you would never want your daughters to have to go through. Can you imagine making those choices? No, it's awful. You know, you want people to to be able to work hard, but you don't want to have to work to the point where you're just completely physically, mentally, and emotionally exhausted. So, yeah, um, that's really powerful. Thank you for for doing that, and um, hopefully that will be wonderful, a wonderful opportunity for many young young people. Yeah. We've got, we've got incredibly my donors um, P and G, Aveda, Cantu, Little Light PR, um, and Space NK have been incredible. They've been my founding investors and the uh, donators, and I'm. Really really grateful to them because they it's you know brands are putting their money where their mouth are and really helping yeah yeah that's great and then is that the reason that you um received your cw 2020 achiever award or uh you know was that was that sort of because of all of the other things that you've been doing as well over the last 20 years? yeah that was that was such a beautiful surprise and so like emotional that was to celebrate my career and everything I've done for the past 20 years and to have that 
I mean, I love the beauty industry. It is full of healers and creatives and like extroverts and just just the most incredible people and artists. And so I love the beauty industry and to be sort of seen like that is incredible because I always sort of felt like I had my nose pressed up. I always felt on the outside looking in and to have that wave of acknowledgement and being seen and celebrated by my industry was incredible. And I really that was one of the highlights of my career. I'm so glad to hear it. And may I say, I'm very surprised to hear you say that you never wore colour before because you look absolutely <laughs> stunning today. Are you, you are. Thank you. You are definitely front and centre. I am. Yeah, I, I only wore black and I only wore like super high powered ham like thousand pounds handbags and i realized now it was a form of armor because i felt i needed it because people would always sort of like is this where you really you know i couldn't get into launches sometimes because people were like are you sure this is for you can i have an invite i need to check you know so much microaggressions backstage at fashion week i'd be working or filming and do you belong here are you supposed to be here you know why are you here and that was my experience for such for like most of my career and I felt I needed to look a certain way I would chemically straighten my hair I wore black I wore these shishi out like handbags and I realized now it was armor to try and say back off I'm enough look at me look I've got a 2,000 pound Chanel handbag leave me alone and it's ridiculous and you know my daughter one of my daughters said to me oh you're an old gray lady why are you such an old grey lady? And I said, this is very chic and powerful. And she's like... <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then, and then after I started the wearing colour... critic. So rude. But she, and then so after rude. I started wearing colour, she said to me, you see, mama, you don't have to hide anymore. Oh, and oh I my just, God. I know, I just lost it. And I just thought, she... You know how children just call it? I was hiding. And so it was about being your most authentic self is enough. And that was always the message I was not receiving or given. You are not enough. You need to be this. You need to, your body's wrong. Your hair's wrong. Your skin color's wrong. You're wrong. And that was a message I'd received all my life. Um, even though I pushed against that in so many, in so many ways, but I think, yeah, it was a rebel. The color was, I can, I can wear bright hot pink and have a political discussion with Piers Morgan or be on CNN or, you know, talk about things that are really important to me. All these invisible rules that we did not sign up for. Who says that a gray suit is power? Who says that this, yeah. or that, who says I can't be taken seriously with a crown on my head, you know, and pink? Like all these, that's why it's so interesting colour and all these markers of status that's what it's all about and I challenge that I can be me and be authentically you know I like ballet I like hip-hop I like this I like Elizabethan I like Agatha Christie I like I like so many different things let me just be my authentic self and that's what racism does it puts stories on people that don't fit yeah yeah yeah, and, and don't let true. people see, don't let people be who they are. You put a narrative on people based on like nonsense. That's what, and that's what I, I'm fighting against. Yeah. And that's what you are 
uh, I would say embracing wholeheartedly because honestly, I see you. Uh, so I should, because this is audio, so you may not necessarily be seeing what Ate is wearing, but she has got this most gorgeous fuchsia top and this baby pink crown with pearls. And she just looks <laughs> absolutely amazing. I, I love it. And I think it really resonates with me because, um, well, for many reasons, um, but when I look back on, on my sort of fashion choices, I've never thought of myself as particularly fashionable. Um, and again, going into a medical uh, career, you have to look a certain way in order to feel as though people are going to take you seriously. Yeah. Um, so I have to leave my, you know, my kind of boho <laughs> and my mandala beads at home, you know. Um, but at the same time, you know, Why? it's important Who to be able that? to. We were, exactly. not we were not at the meeting. <laughs> Who said boho and pink isn't serious? So I, I challenge you memo. to go. I am still the professional, amazing, talented person, even if I've got a tiered skirt on. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. I may even dye my hair. You yeah. know, uh, uh, I've always fancied the idea of pink hair. Anyway, I'll think about that one. <laughs> but um, no, I love it. And I really, you know, when you just said a moment ago, you said you can be your authentic self and it is enough. I just loved hearing you say that. And that's something that I'm going to try and remember um, as one of the real take-home points, I think, not only from this interview, but just in life, you know, being your authentic self is enough. And, uh, you know, especially, you know, when it comes to um, sharing your expertise on something that you know you're super passionate about, you have the skills, you have the knowledge, that should be what shines through. So, um, yeah, it's a really special message. So thank you for Thank you for me as well. Yeah. Remember that one. <laughs> but especially, especially as women, I think growing up in quite a misogynistic society, we are not taught that. We're not told mm. that. That's not reinforced enough. I think it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a good take home message. And, you know, I think especially you mentioned, you know, being a woman, obviously, um, we have various unique challenges, I suppose, when it comes to our biology. And I'd like to sort of shift focus slightly as we move through, because um, I understand that you've talked a fair amount about menopause, perimenopause, menopause, and your experiences of that, because that's another massive stage of life that we all go through. Um, that I'm glad that more conversations are happening around that more recently, but until recently, it's been quite taboo to really talk about that and share those kinds of experiences. So tell me sort of a bit more about what your experiences have been and why you know, it was important to you to share them. Oh, totally. But, you know, the, the theme running through all the things that I'm really interested and passionate about are power and status, really. And like you were saying, having the menopause is such a taboo subject I grew up with it not even being called the menopause. It's the cha the change. And it was like a thief who's going to come and literally snatch your handbag away, like snatch your periods away. And it was like, you've got to watch out for it. It's coming. It's coming. Instead of embracing you know, <laughs> like a thief, instead of something that is, you are so lucky if you can get to do, get to that stage. Not all of us make it. If you can get to, and to embrace the fact that this is a really transformative time of your life where you're going into another phase, that there is power in that, that, that there is 
power you know the Chinese in Chinese medicine you call it second spring because you have all this energy and you've got isn't that amazing second spring I love that I love, I it. love it you've got energy and you've got a new release of life you maybe if, you, if you're a mother you've got your kids are a little bit more grown up this is you know your oxytocin levels your huggy kissy uh, hormones goes down a little bit so you've got time to like get to business show me the money <laughs> <laughs> you know it is actually a time of a lot of power um, but instead it was always kind of like sold as you know oh she's gone loopy or she's this or that and all these like horrific misogynistic things or but you know and so we just don't talk about it and I always found it so strange that when we talk about these huge hormonal shifts in our life whether you're like you know my girls are 11 they're going through puberty we talk about first periods and boobs and your body changing and all of that you know when I was pregnant I would talk to my mom about what was your pregnancy like I've got twins and then the conversation stops why don't we talk about our menopause? Why don't we do that? Because it's it's as if you're used up, you're, you're used goods. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Off you go. You're done. And you're kind of like put on the scrap heap of society. That's how it always felt like. So I'm really proud to be working with Menopause Mandate and just really shouting about the fact that we need to be empowered because so many people are suffering from symptoms which they didn't even know about because we don't discuss it where are you supposed to learn about this we're not talking amongst ourselves as family it's not really spoken about widely in the public and, and at schools and there's so many symptoms that people you know i've spoken to women who thought they were going through early stage dementia and alzheimer's when it was actually brain fog associated with the menopause um joint pain teeth can start to move and bleed you know, we all know sort of the night sweats. That's like the sort of the poster child of menopause, like night sweats. But there's so many other things, um, you know, anxiety, depression, sort of just feeling out of sorts. People have left their jobs feeling they're not capable anymore because they didn't know. And it's just about reaching out for help, getting medication, breathing, eating, you know, you can change your diet, avoid, like, sort of like reduce your sugar and caffeine, weight training, which is really great for your bone density, because you can get very brittle bones um, after the menopause. And it's just about empowering yourself with information and knowledge. This is not something to fear, not something to be scared of it's a it's a walk of pride that you get you know a cousin of mine passed away a couple of years from breast cancer and she didn't get to be menopausal you know we don't take this is this is if you're lucky you get to go through this stage and live a full beautiful life and it's just another phase of your life that you walk in with pride and power so that's what is important to me yeah Another phase of life to walk in with pride and power. I like that. And it's something that I wish more women felt. We actually had an interesting podcast episode earlier on in the series with Alice Smelly and Mariella Frostrup. They've yes. written a book. Uh, I think it's called Cracking the Menopause, if yeah. I remember rightly. And uh, it was wonderful to read that and to read the different stories of all the different women that they interviewed um, about this life phase and how it affected them and what help they needed. Yeah, and my mum's in that book. <laughs> Oh, she really is a superstar, your mum. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And, um, you know, may I ask, do you know what she said about her story of menopause in the book? Yes, I think it was a very, I think she had a very gentle 
sort of menopause. She ate, like she said, she sort of woke up and that was that. And so, but she has, I mean, my mum's really active and fit and she, or like her diet is really colourful and rainbow and yams and things like that. And so she just didn't talk about it. It was just, but it wasn't, she didn't have very like heavy symptoms, but it's something that I haven't, she didn't, until this book, I didn't really discuss it with her until, you know, it was just something she never spoke about. And so it was really good for me to be like, okay, what happened? Like, how old were you? And like, I would never have even thought to ask her, what age were you? What happened? What happened? And she was like, oh, you know, a sort of a few, you know, it was kind of like, it was as if she went to bed and then it kind of like, she stopped uh, menstruating. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. But <laughs> well, actually, well, well, what I was going to say then, it's difficult, though, I think, with menopause, because you don't have, you know, the transition into sort of puberty for girls into women, you know, you have your first bleed and it's a moment. Yes. It's like, OK, this is a moment in my life that yes. I can actually categorically say there was a before and, and yes. there is an after. Whereas with menopause, it's not really like that because your periods can become heavier. They can become more frequent then they can really sort of mess around to the point where, you know, you might be having sort of um, on off periods for months before you actually finally say okay well they've stopped for the last year I can definitely say I have done exactly. menopause and it's that thing and the actual marker is it's like a year after your period stop isn't it so it's like yes we need new language to describe what's going on, don't we? It's really interesting. We do. Yeah. Yeah, no, we definitely do. And I love the idea of the second spring because in a way, you're not losing your vitality each month, I guess. You know, if you're thinking of it in terms of the Chinese medicine paradigm, right. you know, women have to go through a bleed every month during their fertile years. And yeah. that takes its toll, I, you know, especially in terms of things like uh, iron deficiency, anemia and heavy periods. Whereas I suppose one of the advantages... <laughs> once you stop having periods is that that's no longer going to be happening so which is I suppose one of the advantages yeah, <laughs> and, and you know what I think talking about the invisible again and the beauty women have always been judged on their fertility on how they look and how they're desired and if they're wanted and needed which I've never really subscribed to but instead the older you get is how much more wisdom and grace and skills and power that is more interesting to me and that has not been very valued so in terms no. of like so by the time you are going through the menopause you have wisdom you have experience you have you've got some uh, road under your tires that is to be celebrated as well that is really interesting and I think we need it is yeah and that's what we need to celebrate as well it is. And I think it's interesting to me looking at different cultures around the world and how menopause is treated. There are certain cultures where, you know, when the women are valued and respected for their wisdom and their role in the community after menopause, it tends to be that their symptoms are less problematic for them. And that, that doesn't mean that that it's psychological. It just means that having that sense of purpose and worth allows you to sort of lift your physiology in ways that actually, you know, you're not going to necessarily be as affected by the symptoms of menopause as you would otherwise have done. It's, I completely, I completely see that. It's like, it's, it's being purposeful, isn't it? It's like being needed, being wanted, being valued is just good for your health, for everybody. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I think so. And uh, there was a famous quote from Rod Stewart, I remember hearing. He said that if more men understood menopause, there would be less divorces. Oh, <laughs> it's so true. It's so, I mean, it's so sad how it really affects marriages. And, you know, you, you, your, your sex drive can be lower. It can, you know, you can feel very distant. And it's about talking, getting the right medication, getting the right therapy, getting what you need. And it can really help you in every part of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you have any of your personal sort of top tips for how uh, you yourself have perhaps, you know, experienced that transition or that you could give advice to others from your experience? Yeah, I'm not the best sleeper, but getting plenty of sleep and keeping hydrated, go speak to your GP, go armed, go empowered, don't take no for an answer. Get, you know, if you need to get um, HRT, you need to get testosterone, go armed with information and power of what you need and just know that you deserve to feel good. I think half of the, the problem is people just have a kind of, oh, I'll just get on with it, brush it under the carpet. No, you deserve to feel your most fabulous every day. So reach out, get help. You're not alone. Connect with people, read, empower yourself. Also, like exercise. If you could do a bit of weights, some light weights, that's brilliant for you. Eat a rainbow diet. Be happy and just know that you are worthy. That's half of it. Yeah. That's for me. Just when you love yourself, everything kind of clicks into place. It's true. Know that you're worthy. I think that is a good foundation for all the other bits and pieces, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, moving into skincare and beauty with, with the lens of menopause, is that something that you've noticed in terms of your skin? Like, Has that changed? And if so, have you got any sort of advice or tips on, you know, what women could do if they notice the same sort of things? Yeah. I mean, during menopause, your skin can get very, either very acne. It can be as if you're going through your teens again and it's like suddenly people have adult acne, which they never had, or you can get extremely dry and sensitive. So it's about being really intuitive. I think we can get, I mean, I think many people are sort of like in my 40s and 50s, I grew up with a cleansed, toned, moisturized mindset. And it's being a really prescriptive with your skin. What does my skin need today? What is happening today? And really listening to what you need, because that can change week by week, month by month, day by day. And so in terms of, you know, use a retinol, light exfoliation, make sure you're using the right level moisturizer for you, because what worked maybe 10 years ago and your mum loves might not be what's great for your skin right now. So really tune in and listen and be prescriptive to your skin's changing needs. Mm, okay. That's a good advice. So if someone's noticing that their skin is drier, perhaps because the estrogen has gone down a bit, what would you say that they might want to sort of move towards? Is just more moisturising or is there a specific kind of moisturiser? I would definitely layer serums. So, you know, a serum is really hardworking. It's like, it's, it's like a, I call it like the juice, the juice shot of skincare. It's packed full of ingredients and can really go to the skin. So a vitamin C, hyaluronic acid, that's going to pump lots of radiance and moisture and really help with the skin. Um, I would definitely say, think about a thicker, heavier, moisturizer exfoliation is really good some light exfoliation so that your skin can really receive all these delicious juicy ingredients i would say drink lots of water make sure especially with winter coming with central heating put a little bowl of water by its little trick a little bowl of water with some lavender by radiators makes the air more moist great for your hair great for your skin drink plenty of fluids try and cut down on alcohol because that can be very dehydrating for your skin and just 
yeah, lots of masking as well. Think about topping up once or twice a week with a, with a very rich moisture mask and just literally give your skin drinks of water and comfort. Hmm, that's beautiful. Okay, some good tips there. Thank you. <laughs> oh, I don't, it's making me think I definitely don't pay enough attention to my skin. So skin is great. You've got, you got, you got beautiful skin. Do you, do you oh, like looking you. after it? Yeah. Well, I, I don't do enough of it. I don't, but I will. I'm definitely going to think about it now. Um, so this has been wonderful. I've really enjoyed sort of learning a bit more about your journey and all of your passions. And I think probably sort of to wrap things up a little bit, what, what I'd like to do now is ask you some questions around wellness in general, because this is the wellness edit. Uh, and the word wellness can mean many different things to different people. And so I'm curious to know, what does it mean to you oh what does wellness mean to me taking care of myself as much as i take care of the, the people i love and that doesn't come easy because <laughs> mm. you know and it's really it's about yeah that's easier said than done it's easier said than done but you know especially as a mother you will do anything for your babies you know what i mean with your last breath with anything you would do anything to make them comfortable to make them safe to make them feel great and that same ferocious love have that for yourself and that I'm a work in progress, but have a ferocious love for yourself. That's what I would mm. say wellness is for me. Oh, that's beautiful. Have a ferocious love for self. I like that a yeah. lot. <laughs> I'm going to take that one away as well. So many nuggets of joy today. I've loved it. All right. So I think what would be good now is to find out a bit more about how people can actually find you and spend more time with you. Um, would you be able to share some of the things that you might be up to in the coming weeks and months or just how people can get in touch? Well, thank you so much. Please say hello on my Instagram at at a jewel. You can say hi to me there. I, I have a chat club every Wednesday and Friday. I have an Instagram live and it's, that's really fun. Um, I'm launching my makeup range at a jewel beauty next spring. So look out for that on my website at a jewelbeauty.com and just say hello and like join, join the party, join the party and have fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely going to enjoy the party. I've absolutely loved our chat today. Thank you. Thank I really you. appreciate your time. And yes, I'm excited to hear about your beauty range as well. So I'll definitely look out for that. Oh, thank you. And that's been so much fun. And please come and please come and do an Instagram live chat with me on my, on my chat. I will. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> I will. <laughs> thank you, Ate. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me today in conversation with Ate Jewel. She was a ray of sunshine and I really loved all the little nuggets of joy that she shared on today's conversation. What I have left the conversation with is just a real sense of hope for the future uh, and understanding that although past traumas can really hurt us the way that we move forwards in life is the way that we can really make a difference and she's showing that every day through the things that she's doing um, I really loved it when she said about being authentically you is enough uh, which really really resonated with me and uh, I want to thank her for her time I really enjoyed it I hope you did as well if you did please do share it with loved ones I know that they'll benefit from it as well and don't forget to check out all of Ate's work via Instagram and also her brand new uh, makeup range which will be coming out very soon and do join me again next week where we'll be talking to another wonderful guest about how we can fit more wellness into our days I really look forward to seeing you there 
all views are those of our guests and not Holland and Barrett, unless explicitly stated otherwise. Any reference to brands and or products should not be considered as an endorsement.